Let's go to the passage that talks about that very thought. Join me in Job chapter 23. Job chapter 23, if you don't have sermon notes, the fellows are moving around the auditorium. They have some, otherwise they're found inside the bulletin as you follow along. There's an article that came in Christianity Today that came out about pastors who had some elderly folk in their congregation and they were getting some sage comments. There are three ladies in particular who were quite elderly that made some comments that made this article. One of them was a name of a gal by Jane Clement. She reached the age of 120 years old and she was verified at that time being the oldest person that was alive on the planet, and they asked her in this interview that they said, would you please describe your vision for the future? Her answer was, very brief. (laughs) There was another one that she was interviewed. She was 102 years old. And in the interview they said, "Um, you know, what are some of the real advantages of being 102 years old? And she said, well, for one thing, there's very, very little peer pressure. Then there was another lady that she wasn't being interviewed, but she was planning her, her uh, funeral service with her pastor. And uh, she got together and she says, when I have the service, I want none, none, none of the men to serve as pallbearers carrying me out. He said, why is that? I want to make sure I say it right. They w- and by the way, she was a single gal. She said, they wouldn't take me out while I was alive. I'm not going to let them take me out when I'm dead. <laughs> She wasn't bitter, but uh, she had a point. So Job, in, uh, in Job, the book, he's got three friends who are old, and they're offering him sage advice. And they sound something like these three ladies. They, uh, it's an amazing book. It's an amazing book where Job's friends are just coming, and they're saying, here's what we, you need to do, Job. Well, we've hit chapter 22 now. And in chapter 22, it's Eliphaz's turn the third time to speak up and give Job some of his advice, some of his sage counsel. And when I come to it, it reminds me of Peanuts cartoons, uh, one of those, one of those uh, articles one day that started off like this. You know, uh, Lucy's talking to uh, Charlie Brown. She says, a strange thing happens. Whenever I look at you for a while, I feel a criticism going on, coming on. <laughs> That's, that is exactly what's happening in chapter 22. Eliphaz has been quiet for just a little bit, and criticism has to take over. And it does. It does. He starts off in chapter 22. If you read some of the words through, and I'm going to skim through part of 22, I want to get into Job's response. But he's basically saying things to, to Job. He says, Can a man be profitable unto God, as he that is wise may be profitable to himself? Is it any pleasure to the Almighty that you are righteous? Or is it gain to him that you make thy ways perfect? Will he reprove you for fear of thee? Will he enter into with thee with judgment? That is, in a court case, will he even bother? He's being very sarcastic. He's being very critical. He's In, in all of his comments, there's no more tact. Initially, Remember when he started off talking to Job, he said, Now, Job, you helped a lot of people in the past. You did this. But this time, there's, there's, there's no start. It's just right into it, just malicious words, words basically thinking and saying to him, You think you're that important to God? Yeah, are you that valuable? Do you think you benefit God the way wisdom would benefit a person? He's commenting and he says, You know, is there... You said you've not sinned. Is there any way that your proclaimed righteousness benefits God? Tell us. Tell us, tell us, tell us, you know, how, do you really think that God is against you because he fears you? 
And then he comes in chapter five, or verse 5 and he makes it very clear. He says, is not your wickedness great? And I mean, he is pointed. He is going for the juggler. In fact, the next few verses, if you read through them, and again, I, for sake of time, I want to get into the next chapter. But he's going to say, you are a great sinner, Job. I don't care what you say, you're a sinner. And then he starts listing things that he thinks Job has done. Glance through the next few verses as I just mentioned him. He's going to say, you took pledges from people who borrowed from you. Um, oftentimes in the Bible days, what they do, people who didn't have much, they would give some item of, of clothing, like their outer garment. And the law even addressed this, that if somebody gave you their outer garment as their collateral to borrow some money, you had to give it back by sundown. Because that was their outer garment that would keep them warm. Well, he accuses Job. He says, Job, you're taking it, and you know, here you are, a wealthy man, and you have taken pledges from people and not given back. He goes on and he says, you didn't even help out people with basics like food and water. And you were a rich man. Shame on you, he talks about in verse 8. Shame, shame, shame. You had all this wealth, and you didn't help out the needy. In fact, when it came to the widows and the orphans, you took from them. You, you, st- you, you basically took advantage of them because of their desperation. And so he's going through this, and he's talking throughout this passage. And then in verse 12, he says, not only have you done wrong, but this is an interesting, you have to make some comparisons to other chapters. He says, um, is not God in the height of heaven, and behold the height of the stars, how high they are? And you say, and so he's going to make a comment. We all know God is above the distant stars, but Job, you say, therefore God doesn't see everything. He can't see through the clouds. And God doesn't know what's going on in my life. And I need to inform God. Job never said that. Job never, this is Eliphaz twisting Job's words. What Job had said in the previous chapter when he had been talking to Zophar, he said, shall any teach words of wisdom to God? And they took it to say, well, you're saying that you know, God doesn't know anything and God doesn't see anything. Job never said that. But Eliphaz is accusing him of, of all kinds of things. And then he ends up in the end of the chapter, verse 15, he says, you're following the wicked ways of the ancients. You just keep on going. The people who were destroyed in the flood, you're following after them. Job, you're just an ungodly guy. These are his accusations. They're very clear. Now, I want you to pause with me and remember that if we jump to the end of the book, we hear what God says about Eliphaz. We hear what God says about these type of comments. At the end of the book, God says to Eliphaz, My wrath is kindled against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me the thing that is right, as my servant Job has, and God goes on. Therefore, Eliphaz, you take seven bullocks, rams, go to serve my servant Job, and my servant Job shall pray for you. For him I will accept, lest I deal with you after your folly. You need to repent. You need to make sacrifice. So these accusations, they're not correct. They are not accurate. They are an exaggeration. But Eliphaz is really, really, you know, he's just, he's, his animosity is amazing. Then he gives Job advice. In the rest of the chapter, he says, Job, here's what you need to do. And he gives him several verbs that talk about get your heart right with God. Become acquainted with him. Make peace with him. Uh, he says, let the law of God come to you. Receive it, the law of God from his mouth. Lay up his words in your heart. He says to him, return to the Almighty. Put away the iniquity from your tent. This is my advice to you. You need to repent and get right with the Lord. You have done wrong. And then stop relying upon your riches. The irony of it is, Job doesn't have any riches left. They're all gone. They've just been taken. 
But here's where Eliphaz is coming from. And, Job, and, and Job's listening to this man, accusing him of all kinds of, uh, of, of all kinds of greedy, sinful things that Job wasn't guilty of. And then he goes on, and Eliphaz says, you know, you need to repent. And if you repent, this, this is amazing what he promises. He says, Job, if you repent of your sin and the sins that I think you have done, you listen to my advice, here's what's going to happen to you. He says, you will have all of your wealth restored. Where did he get that? But he says, all of your wealth shall come back to you. You're going to be built up again. You're going to have plenty of silver if you do what I tell you to do. And you'll have all kinds of spiritual blessings. You will have the delight of the Almighty upon you once again. You will then have answered prayers. All you have to do is listen to me. And if you listen to me, God's going to bless you. Sounds like modern TV preachers sometimes, right? You know, the gospel of prosperity. Then he says, and you will be successful in your life. If you determine something, it will come to pass. You will have restored authority and community rule back in your lap. And then he says, you'll also influence other people. Look at verse 29, where he says, basically, you're going to have this influence and people will listen to you. And so he's promising all this. Now, before we jump into how Job responds to Eliphaz, okay, let me, let me just hesitate and say, Eliphaz is a good illustration for us on how to, how to crush somebody with our counsel. In other words, let's rephrase that. What not to do when you're trying to advise somebody, whether it be a family member or a friend, don't do what Eliphaz has done. Several things strike me right away. You, you don't criticize without knowing the facts. You don't accuse and judge the person based on appearances only. But that's Eliphaz. That's what he's doing very quickly. I believe you've done this. You've done this. He doesn't have the facts. And I remind you, Eliphaz has not been around. Eliphaz and the three friends, according to chapter 3, they traveled a long way to get to Job. And so they've not been around. They're just going quickly, making quick determinations. Also do this. If you want to destroy somebody, hear, but don't listen to what they're saying. Do the uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. But while you're doing the uh-huh, 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 you're planning how you're going to counter them and you're not hearing a word they're saying. Lousy, lousy counselor. That's the Eliphaz. Refuse to take the person at the word. Job has repeatedly said to them, I have not done a secret sin. I am right with God. They refuse to hear him. But 1 Corinthians 13 says, Love believes all things. You take somebody at the word until proven otherwise. Don't twist the truth. Don't twist the words that they are saying. Don't make them say, don't, don't turn them around to make them say something that you don't like. Okay, but that's what frequently happens. Something else he does, he assumes the role of the Holy Spirit and he persists. He persists like the other two. They are just, they are hammering on Job, hammering on Job, hammering. We're going to come to a text this evening that is one of the most difficult texts I've studied so far. And either they have... They have worn Job down to a point. It's, it's really interesting to study how they, Job has either worn down or something's going haywire because Job in the response says exactly what they're saying. And it doesn't make sense coming from the mouth of Job. Have they defeated him? Or we'll share the other possibilities tonight. But they are so persistent. They want to get him to the point where Job will say, fine. You're right. You get your way. Now, none of us would ever do that to somebody. Right. Okay? But that's these guys. 
That's these guys. They press for a quick confession. You've got to confess. And then when they press for a quick confession, they give false hopes and unrealistic promises. God never said he's going to restore somebody's wealth if they repent. God never says if you repent of some type of sin that any disease, any illness that you have got is going to all of a sudden vanish. He never said that. But he is, uh, Eliphaz and so many others, they promise things that aren't coming from the mouth of God. So this is what Job's got to deal with. Job's got three of these guys beating up on him, and so he responds. We get his response in chapter 23 and 24. And again, there's a, we could take all of it, and it would take a day long just to go through it all. But let me just highlight a few thoughts and focus in on a couple different passages. He doesn't strike back. He could. He could say, I am... We've... Um, it, it reminded me, uh, we've been having more and more issues of, of, of young people out here front doing skateboarding and biking, and now we've found rocks being broken on the stoops and you know, being, stuff like that. And so I came pulling in Friday evening, and sure enough, the same guys that I have asked four or five times who every time I say, guys, you can't be skateboarding, we didn't know that. There's the sign. This sign we point to at least a dozen times now with them. Yeah, and so these particular ones, there's three of them I pulled in. And as I pulled in, I thought, I'm going to just pull in under the portico. Um, and they can't skateboard because I'm taking up their spot. So I pulled into the portico, and one of them, and as soon as they see, they know my car. So as soon as they see the car, then they start skedaddling. And so I was pulling in, and I wasn't going crazy fast, but all of a sudden as they're walking, going past, they go ahead, hit us with your car. Hit us with your car, then we can sue you. Hit us with your car. I wanted to hit them with my car. <laughs> so I should stop preaching, I know. I just, but my initial reaction is, or just open the door. You know, just... <laughs> I don't understand how Job could contain himself to his, his friends. They're, what they're saying. But he holds back. And then what he does... And I'm going to break it down in several... Uh, just for clarity. Uh, I'm going to jump mostly to chapter 24 for this first point. But start with chapter 23. He clarifies what he, is, what he believes. Because just, they've just twisted his words. So twisting his words, he has to back up and say, guys, let me say it again. Here's what I believe. Now look at chapter 23, verse 10. What he does, he says, yes, I have stated, I wonder why God is allowing me to suffer. And he has stated that. But go to 23, verse 10, where he makes the comment and he makes it clear. He says, God knows the way that I take. And he says in that passage, um, let me get to there to be with you. He says, when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. I know God knows everything. God knows what he's doing in my life, even though I wonder why it's happening. I still trust him, guys. I want to clarify. And yes, I have wondered out loud, if you were with us last Sunday night, the entire chapter 22 is all about his comments, or 21 is all about Job saying, I don't understand why the wicked prosper. I don't understand why the wicked prosper. Yes, I have said the wicked get away with so much wickedness. And then look through the chapter. As you go through chapter 24, just start paging through the verses, scrolling down, and you're going to see him make these comments. Some remove the verse 2. Some remove the ancient landmarks. 
that, that they remove boundary lines. Remember, boundary lines are really important. Okay, it's your property. He goes on, he says, yeah, and some, some of them, they turn, a, they turn the needy out of the way. The poor of the earth, they hide themselves together and they drive them away basically as wild asses into the wilderness. He goes on, he says that, that yes, you, there's no charity. Yes, I, I, they get away with it. They don't show any charity towards those who have food or for their children. He goes on, he talks about how they, they take the infants away from the nursing mother in verse 9. He just continues going down through and he, he basically says they, they keep on doing things that are wrong. They go, go, go down to verse, uh, verse 12, uh, 14, excuse me. The murderer rising in the light kills the poor and the needy and in the night he's like a thief. And he goes on, the adulterer. The adulterer waits for the twilight saying, no, I shall see me. And they won't figure who I am. In the dark, they dig through the houses that they marked the thieves are. They dig through the houses that they marked during the daytime. And he goes on. So he's basically saying these people do these things. And they get away with it. Yes, I have said that. Yes, it is true. And And I have wondered. And so have you. Have you ever been pulled over by the police and given a speeding ticket? And while you're sitting there, zoom, zoom, zoom. And you go, why me and not them? That's what you... Some of you are looking like you've never got a ticket. <laughs> yes, I'm speaking from experience, okay? <laughs> and, so, and that's Job. Job is saying, I, yeah, I don't get it. Why am I pulled over by God and all the wicked are going down the lane faster than I was going? Yeah, I've wondered that. He says, that's true. I have asked that question. But he says, just to clarify, go down to the end of the chapter. Just to make sure you understand what I believe... He says, and I'm going to go down to, the, to verse 24. They are exalted for a little while, but are gone and brought low. They are taken out of the way as all other and cut off as the tops of the ears of the corn. What's he saying? He's saying there will be payday someday. They will be judged. I don't know why they don't get judged as quickly as what you say, you know, Bildad, Zophar, Eliphaz, you say that they never prosper. I disagree with that. I think he says they, uh, Job says, I think they prosper for a while. They shouldn't. They get away with stuff, but one day they will be judged. There will be a judgment day for them. And so he's clarified what he's believing because they're twisting what he's doing. Then what he does is he expresses confidence in God. He expresses real confidence. If you go back to chapter 23 and look at the context, in chapter 23, it starts off in the beginning of the chapter where he makes a comment in verse 4, I would order my cause before him and fill my mouth with arguments. He is repeating what he has said previously. I want my day in court with God. I wish I could have my day in court where I could explain to God, God, here's how I have lived for you. Why are you letting me suffer so? And I'm confident, and he said before, I'm confident if I could explain and see and talk to God face to face, then, then things would work out fine and the trials would stop. In fact, he said, you're making a comment, I haven't any secret sin like you say. I just want that opportunity to speak face to face because God knows me. God knows the, way, you know, the ways I have taken. He knows how I've treated the poor. He knows what I've done with the orphans. He knows what I've done with those boundary lines. He knows everything that I have done to this point. God knows it. He knows the way that I take. And he examines me. He tries me. Present tense. He says it's happening. And 
When that were to happen, if God were to really, really have his time with me, me in court, I would come forth shining. Shining as gold. That's what I, I, I'm confident. That I am right with God. That God knows that if I could, and he would, let me express to him, this would all stop, and things would be great, and I would be shining instead of sitting here on an ash heap. I'm confident that I am right with God. That's his point. I'm confident that everything is right between me and God. He would not condemn me. He would commend me. I'm very confident. That's, jo- that's where Job's confidence in, in God's approval. That he says, you know, I'm sure of this. My big question is, how can he be so sure? How can you and I be so sure that when we pillow our heads, we can say, I'm right with God? There is, there is nothing going wrong and that God would help me to shine his gold if, if, he, if he would allow. Well, here's why. He goes on. He has consideration. Consideration of God's greatness. It's tremendous what he thinks about God. If you read through these verses in, this, in the sector of chapter 23, he starts talking about the Lord. But I want you to start with verse 15. He says, Therefore am I troubled at his presence. When I consider, I am afraid of him. What's he mean by that? What's he mean by verse 16? For God makes my heart soft, and the Almighty troubles me. Okay, he's been accused of having a very low view of God, of not thinking God can see everything, that God knows everything. And he's saying that's not true. God knows everything about my life. He knows the way that I take. And in fact, I think this about God. He's going to talk about it. And he says, and when I think this about God, I tremble. I I become weak and faint. Because God is so great and I am so small. That when I compare myself to God, whew, I am moved. When I behold our God, I feel like crawling under a rock. I feel like trembling because I am not that great and that good. I'm right with him. He's not going to condemn me. I'm confident of that. But I also have this holy reverence and holy fear for God because of his greatness. And it's not because he's got some guilt. It's not because he's, he's ashamed of something in his life. But he says, because of God's greatness. He starts in verse 13, talking about God. He is in one mind who can turn him. What his soul desires, even that he does. For he performeth a thing that is appointed for me, and many such things are with him. Think what he's talking about. He's saying, literally in the Hebrew, he is in one He is in one. Now, again, you and I know that the Jews and generations that follow, this was a key verse they would teach their children, that the Lord our God is one Lord. They did that because of the idea of polytheism, that idea that there's only one God. Is there an idea here about God and God alone is only one? That's true. Is there an idea idea here he is in one of a trinity? Could be. Is the idea here that God is unique and above everyone transcendent? That idea that he is above us, that he isn't this buddy-buddy. He's our friend, but he isn't this buddy-buddy, and he's one of us, you know, he's a good old Joe, or he's just an old grandpa sitting in a rock. No, God is above us. God is majestic. God is holy. God is glorious. God is beyond our comprehension. We'll see more of that tonight. It, it just What he says later on tonight is just amazing how he describes God. 
And Job is saying, I don't have a disrespect for him. I have nothing, nothing but admiration and a pause for fear because what he has so desires. My God that he says that I'm worshiping is so powerful. Whatever he wants to do, it's done. Do you know anybody like that? They may sit in the White House and claim they can do it, but they can't. They can't do it. Your boss may claim he can do it, but he can't or she can't. There is only one person that whatever they desire to do, they can do. And Job is saying, that's the one I'm talking about. You guys don't think that I honor him? I fear when I speak his name. I tremble with respect because he is above all. And yet at the same time, this one who is above everything, he is imminent. He, he interacts with me. He's not this distant God who doesn't care. In fact, he interacts with creation. He talks about that. He says that he performs the thing which is appointed for me, Job says. And many such things are with him. My God thinks of me, Job says. My God cares for me. My God is working in me. And Job is, has this, this high consideration of God Almighty. It's an amazing thought. And then he expresses this. And maybe this is why he has confidence that he'll come forth, he'll shine one day. Because his confidence, his, his expression of how he views God, or it's, and or, it's this, he craves fellowship with this God. He starts off the chapter with these thoughts. He says that, you know, these guys are saying you need to return to the Lord. Eliphaz has told him, run back to the Almighty with all seven of those different verbs that we looked at a little bit ago. But Job responds and he says, look at chapter 23, verse 1. Even today is my complaint bitter. It's, I'm struggling, I, I'm heavy, but... Here's the thing that I desire more than anything else. Oh, that I knew where I might find him. That I might even come to his seat. Verse 5, I would know the words which he would answer me and understand what he would say unto me. Will he plead against me with his great power? No, 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 no. He would put strength in me. If I could only have that conversation. He doesn't need to run to God. He's been searching for God. He's looking for God. He wants to be near him. He's craving that opportunity. He wants to have a face-to-face -face conversation. He believes if I could have that face-to-face -face conversation with God, God would strengthen me. God would help me. But right now, it's wherever I look, it feels like, and this is Job's complaint, it feels like God is being silent. God is not answering. If I look over here, he's not there. If I look over here, he's not there, and I don't understand. But I want to get near him. But I feel like God is holding back right now. And I'm struggling. But I crave God's fellowship. He's not running from him. He's trying to run to him. It, it's, it's like a cosmic game of hide and seek. Have you ever played hide and seek with your kids, grandkids? We still do this. We used to do it. I've told you in the past that we would give flashlights out and all the light. Excuse me. Turn off. All the lights in the house. And then send the kids scattering through the house. Our neighbors used to always wonder, why are these flashlights going past the windows? So now we have another generation that we do the flashlight thing in the house. And the kids love it. They love the, the, the times to, you know, can we play flashlight tag in the middle of the afternoon? No, that doesn't work. Okay. But can we do it? And they'll do it. And, and, and I've noticed that the grandkids aren't any smarter than my kids were. I mean, they can, they can go and hide and they're hiding in the bush or whatever it is. And all of a sudden, here I am. Here I am. You know, it's like, I know you're there. I'm just trying to pretend that you're not. I don't see you. And then, then all of a sudden I'll hear this, I know you're there. Okay? They, they, they give these clues okay? that they want to be, they want to be found. Okay? It's part of the game. But I noticed something about little kids. They have these tendencies in hide and seek. Okay? 
The, one of the tendencies, they want to be found really fast. Okay? They hit, find me, get it, you know, so we can move on to the next round. Or they do this. Okay? They say, yo, it's like, okay, you're it. And they're like, no, you go with me. Okay, I'll go with you because you're scared of the dark. You go look. You go look. I'm just going to stand right here and you go look for him, Grandpa. You go look. And it's like, no, no, you're it. I'm just the chaperone. <laughs> yeah. But they want somebody else to do the looking. Or they do this. Okay? They're looking. I'm hiding. They're looking. And 10 minutes later, they're playing some other game. <laughs> and it's like, oh, they ditched me. <laughs> and it worked. No, you know, they just got easily distracted. Or when I do the things like... They don't hear it. They go the other direction. They don't, they're not, they're clueless, okay? <laughs> but the greatest excitement is when, okay, we found each other, or you found me, or I found you, and it's just like, wow, okay, hear him, hear him, hear him, hear him. There you are, you found me! Yeah, right, okay. I wonder at times if this isn't, isn't similar to the hide and seek that happens with God. Job is, is doing this, and in, in this sort, he's, he's becoming more determined. He's not becoming distracted. I want to find God. And I'm determined I'm going to find God. Okay, and, and even though I fear him, and, and he makes my heart feel weak, yeah, I want to be near him. So I'm going to search. And I'm going to look for him. And I'm going to keep hunting. And I have to ask myself, do I, do you? Do we have that same determination to find God every day? Or are we easily distracted with the toys of this life? Are we like the little kids that we want others to do the seeking? You go find. I'm just going to stand here. I've got other things to do. You go study the Bible for me. You go pray for me. You go, mom and dad. You become the one that pray in our family. I've got too many teenage things to do. Or I wonder if we give up too quickly. That God hasn't answered the way I think he should. Or God isn't, you know, isn't, isn't doing what I want him to do. So you know, I've spent two minutes talking. That's enough. You know, for sure, coming to church and learning about him, for some that's such an imposition. Let others do it. Or you know, I've, I, I don't need to do it anymore because I've spent you know, a half hour studying the Bible already. So that's it for the week. And God isn't like God doesn't want us to find him. Never, ever. But I wonder if God isn't doing what Job, what he does to Job, what he does to, isn't, if God doesn't do to us what he does to Job, where he's silent to see, is there really a determination? Is there really a desire? Is there really a hunger to find the Lord or if he doesn't respond to me so quickly, if I don't get something out of the Bible in two minutes, that's it. I'm moving on. I've given God two minutes of my day. Crying all out, I've got other things to do. And here's the Job that is saying, I hunger for you. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not that God doesn't want to be found. It's not that God is hiding so that we can't find him, but he's wanting to know, is there a desire is there a hunger for him? Is there an asking, a knocking, a seeking? Is there a progression 
Of, is there the praying like the neighbor who knocks at the door and is persistent? And finally, the, the one gets up and gives the food. And Jesus asks us to pray that way. He says, that's the way we should pray. That we don't faint in our praying. But have you fainted? Have you listened to the clues that he goes, here I am. Here I am. But you get sidetracked. Now, don't be mistaken. Our God is near. So it reminds me of an account by William Fry, who was a student at the University of Colorado. He's an author giving a story about one of his schoolmates, or a doormate, in fact, was living next door to him in, in college when he was at the university doing his undergraduate work. And he said this guy that lived next door to him was blind. And they became good friends. And he said, I would oftentimes go over and read some of the lessons and some of the, some of the material to him to help speed up the studying process. And we got to be real close friends. And I finally felt, I felt we were close enough I could ask him the question, how come you can't see? And he said, well, here's what happened. And he told his story. He told a story that as a teenager, he became very, very ill, very, very sick. And in that illness and that sickness, uh, he lost his eyesight. And he became so bitter and so angry that his sight was gone. He couldn't do things that he used to do, couldn't play sports, couldn't work in the, around the house and the farm that his parents owned. And so he, you know, it wasn't anything he had done. It was an illness. And how could God do this to me and my family? They just don't seem to want to you know, feel pity for me. So he said, I'll lock myself in the room. And I wouldn't come out except for to eat. And I would, I would be miserable towards everybody because of my calamity. And he said, finally, after several days of this, my father came up in the bedroom and he said, my dad chewed me out royally. He said, my dad scolded me and told me how selfish I was and how I'm just, you know, get out of this depression. God, you know, the God can use this and you need to, you can do something with your life. And my daddy said, conclude the conversation with, if, and here's what you have to do. Winter's coming on. You have, it's been your job to put the storm windows on the two-story house, the farmhouse. You put them on by supper time or else. You know, or else, what are you going to do to me? He said, you don't want to know what I'm going to do to you. You just get the storm windows on and, or else. And he, dad slammed the door and left. And this, this boy, I don't know if I ever gave his name. The boy is in his bedroom and he's saying, oh yeah. Oh yeah, now they want me to do that. Now I'll probably fall off the ladder. And I'll die. I'll do it. I'll do it. Then when I die, then they'll really feel bad for me. So he felt his way out of the room, down the hall, out to the garage, out to where the tools were, where the ladder was, got the stuff that he knew, got back to the house. And he said it took him a long time. And yes, he almost tripped a couple times, but he got the ladder up and he got the storm window changed, another one changed, another one changed, another one changed. And he said, I learned such a great lesson that day. I learned such a great lesson that I could do things. My life hadn't ended. And, uh, you know, William Fry is talking to him. He says, wow, wow, that's a good lesson. He said, you know, tremendous. And that changed, your ad oh, changed my attitude. And then the boy started crying. He says, but the part that amazed me the most was this. While I am muttering, there, you know, I'm going to fall off this ladder. I'm going to die. You know, they'll break an arm, and then they'll really be bad. You know, they'll feel. And he's doing the work, muttering to himself. He says, "I didn't realize my dad stood no more than four feet away from me the entire time. Never revealed himself, but he was there constantly." He said, "And I never heard him. 
Never knew, but he was there. He had other things to do, but he was there to help me. That's our God. Our God never leaves us nor forsakes us. And to crave the fellowship with that one. Yeah, are there silent moments? Yeah, yeah. So that you and I would be more in hunger and more desperate and more, more urgent and earnest in our knocking and persistence. And Job's, that's where Job's at. Job is saying, I crave this. I crave that. I crave fellowship. Do you crave fellowship with God? Do you honestly crave it on Monday, this past week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday? Did you crave fellowship with God? Well, that's where Job's at. Maybe that's why I'm going to come forth as gold. I'm going to shine as gold one day because of that hunger for God, because of that respect, that consideration for God. But let me show you something else. After he's clarified what he believes, after he expressed confidence that he's going to shine one day, he's talked about God's greatness, he's talked about cravings, then he makes another statement here. He makes a statement about his commitment to God's word. Do you remember what he was told by Eliphaz? Let the word of God come back into your mouth. To receive the word of God. You know, lay it up in your heart. And he's saying, now wait a minute. You're implying that I have no time for the word of God. He says, that's not true. Well, by the way, doesn't this throw you for a second? What Bible did they have? There are those who say that in ancient times they didn't write. I'm not so sure where you get that from. Okay? Because in this text, he's going to say these comments. Look down at verse 11. After he says, I come forth shining as gold, my foot has held his steps. His way have I kept and not declined. Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. He's making several statements. He's making it clear. And then he, then he adds this emphatic statement. He says, I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Oh, Oh, my word. He says, God's words are better to me than his food. I mean, we get excited about certain foods. That we want that. We, we hunger it. We want sometimes more than we can eat. Or some of you are doing what the top corner is doing right now. You're thinking about lunch. And that's okay. I mean, that's where we're at. And then somebody ruins good food with coconut. Yeah. <laughs> How do you destroy Cheerios? Coconut. Okay, so you put this up. You put this up. Okay, coconut versus... There's just... Whoops. French fries. There's no... There's no... Fries win any day. Right? Okay, I'll top that. I'll top that. I will give you number six food group. Okay. It's got the peanuts and it's got the chocolate. The two basic food groups we all need every day. Okay? Coconut Cheerios or M&M's? No, there's, there's no, there's nothing between. Job is saying, God's word is my M&M of my life. I want this. I will take this any day. That's where Job's coming from. And Job is saying, you guys have said, I don't care. I do care. I'm committed to the Word of God. So then he could turn it around on them, or maybe I should turn it around on us. What gets more of our attention? God's Word or the cell phones? No, right now, right now we'll say, oh, it's God's Word. That's not every service. There are times in the service 
Yeah, that there's several sitting that are passing the cell phone back and forth. And I, I, I just can't help but think they're, they're not following the word of God when they're all giggling down the four, four of them giggling about something and passing it back. And then one's typing and then they're passing it back and forth. Even in worship service, God's word doesn't get attention. Really? What, what about God's word or playing games? What gets more attention? Am I saying that what we should do is be in God's word 24-7 like some are in playing games? No. But giving God's word some attention, undivided attention on a daily basis, is that so much? Or does shopping online get more of our attention? Or does, you know, oh, I'm going to check how everybody's doing. What about your best friend, Christ? What's his status? What's he want from you? Or, or how about, okay, you know, I don't do the electronic stuff. I just do the gardening stuff. Great, good. I'm glad you can grow your vegetables. That's wonderful. That's good. But what about growing your spirit with the Word of God? What about the idea of, yes, let's be athletic and let's go and play sports. That's wonderful. That's good. And some of us should be joining you. But I'd rather eat the M&Ms. But, we sh- <laughs> but some of these things get more attention and when I say more attention, I'm not, I'm not saying quality of time or quantity of time. I'm talking quality of attention. Some of them get a whole lot more. The TVs get a whole lot more. The programs and the movies, they get more apt, focused attention at times than believers give to reading God's Word for 15 minutes a day. You know, when we, when we think about it, you know, the reality is that... Whoops, excuse me, because I don't want to miss this one. Okay. Sometimes the hunting manuals get read better and clearer with more attention than reading a chapter of God's Word. Oh, I understand the, the lure and the enjoyment and of, of those things. But seriously, when you open up God's Word, are you hungering? Are you attentive? Do you even open it up during the week? Do you crave a time with the Lord? Are you committed to the Word of God? Job says, that's where I'm at. You guys accuse me of other things? Let me set the record straight, which he'll do more of this evening. He said, this is what I want. I am committed to doing God's word. Whether I'm wealthy or bankrupt, I am keeping God's word. Whether I am in a healthy moment or in a hurting moment, God's word is more than my necessary food. I don't care if I've been blessed or falsely accused, which I'm being right now. God's word is what I'm after. Whether I'm enjoying life or I'm suffering miserably, whether my friends are all around me seeking counsel or now they're all deserted, I am going to keep in God's word. Whether the blessings or the trials, whether God seems real close to me or real far away, here's what I'm doing. I am going to be in the word of God even if it doesn't seem like my circumstances are changing. Can you, do you have that same commitment for the word of God? That's where Job's at. And Job says, I know. I know this. He knows where I'm at. He tries me. He examines me. And I will shine as gold because I've esteemed the word of God more than my necessary food. Can you say that same thing with Job? Can you stand and say, that I have a Job-like confidence that I am going to be able to stand before God without shame, without regret. 
Can you, like Job, say, I crave God's fellowship? I hunger moments of worship. I hunger for that time where I can pray to Him and talk with Him without being distracted. Can you say that God's Word is a priority in my life on a daily basis, that I take time for it, that I, that I read the Word of God, that I obey the Word of God, that I want to follow its precepts on a regular daily day. I try to live it in my home. I try to live it at work. Can you say that you want to learn from the God Almighty, you want to hear from Him, you want to learn more about Him, more than you want to spend time with other stuff? That yes, when there's an opportunity to study the Bible, yes, there's an opportunity to read it, it's not going to be my 24-7, but I'm going to take those moments that are rare and few, and I want to be there And I won't be totally distracted by the sports or the computers or the stuff in my life. Job has that attitude. And I think Job speaks down through the ages to say to you and I, here's what we need to do this week. Here's the lesson. Be in God's word and let God's word be in you. If you walk away with nothing but this, be in God's word and let God's word be in you. Commitment. A promise, uh, a dedication. This week, God, I will be in your word and I will let your word be in me. Would you do that for the God who is amazing and awesome and who tries you and looks at you and knows your ways? Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. And here we bow before God at this moment to consider what are we going to do this week? What are we going to do? commendable character Job is. But it wasn't Job, it was God working in him through God's word. What about you? Will you say before God Almighty this week, I will be in God's word and let God's word be in me. Is that your commitment to him this day? Is that what you're going to say? Then with your heads bowed, eyes closed, that's what you pray right now. But if you're here this morning and you do not know for sure you're on your way to heaven, you don't know come judgment day if you'll be able to stand before the Lord without shame, but you rather you can stand with confidence. And you know you would you say, I, I, I don't know yet if I will shine one day or suffer one day in eternity. Then this is the opportunity we want to give you. You're here this morning. You say, I need to talk with somebody to know for sure I'm on my way to heaven, that I'm right with God. Then please... Please, please, take advantage of this moment. Look up at me and let me point a direction you can go. Right over there at that side door where you see some of our folk moving towards. They are going there so they can help you, so they can pray with you, so they can show you from the Word of God how you can be sure, be confident that one day you will shine. If you would like to talk with somebody about your eternal destiny, right now, please get up and go over that direction. One of those people will gladly sit and talk with you in private down, those, down that hallway or several rooms. They'll show you from the Word of God how to be sure. You who are born again, you who are saved individuals, you who are teens or seniors and all the in-between, will you let God's Word be in you this week? Will you be in God's Word? What are you telling Christ right now? Father, help us this week. Help us to be 
truly dedicated the way Job was. Help us to come forth shining as gold one day because you, with your greatness, you, with your goodness, that you would build us up through your word. Help me and my friends to hunger and crave you and your word more this week than we've done this past few weeks. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. See you.